everybody. It is Tuesday, July 30th. Um, we're back for another episode of the Weekly Impact Podcast. Um, I was going to queue up some welcome back Cotter, uh, <laughs> but I was afraid too many people wouldn't get it because we're old now. But um, Daniel Yelverton is back with us. Welcome hey, back, Daniel. Hey, I know. <laughs> Yay, it's good to be back. He's been away for a few weeks on vacation. If you listen regularly, you know that. Um, and Michael actually is not with us today. Um, Michael has um, had to make a little bit of a switch in his life for a little while, and he's having to step away from the podcast, not permanently. Um, he's just only going to be able to join us once a month now for a while, um, just just for him to get some priorities in line and all that he's kind of a, stuff and, and a healthy a change. With yeah, work. Exactly. Yeah. So um, we're going to have a different host with us each week, um, and Michael will join us one week a month, probably the same week every month. And actually this week and next week, we have our friend Ricky Roush joining us. Hey, good hey. to be here. And, um, yeah, uh, yeah he's, he was scheduled to do next week, and then we ended up not having somebody this week, and I talked to him last night, and he said he would love to join us. So he's going to be with us for two weeks in a row. Ricky has joined us a few times before, right? A couple times uh, at least? I think just once. Just once? Yeah. Okay, I thought you were with us at least twice. But um, So yeah, he, he is a um, great dude that we love here. He uh, plays keyboards with us on the worship team awesome. um, and, and has a pretty deep knowledge of a lot of this stuff that we're going to talk <laughs> about. So not to put him... Uh, put pressure on him but uh anyway thank you very much for joining us yeah, we really appreciate it yeah, yeah it's awesome so guys today we are on hebrews 2 um and daniel if you would just a little bit um what we're going to do is we're going to play the bible project for you guys to set up the book of hebrews since we're in the second chapter and we're pretty early into the book because it's a pretty in-depth pretty can be confusing book that we were just touching on so daniel if you'd explain a little bit more why context is so important for this book and why we're doing bible project this time yeah i think uh we've used the bible project resource uh uh, many times here and it's it's a great resource it really is and just kind of doing a creative way of giving kind of a synopsis of the books of the that you're reading in the Bible, but also kind of a little bit of context and a little bit of clarity into the connection of all the chapters. Because a lot of times we can read verses and chapters in isolation and not really know how, like what the overall message is of uh, a lot of these letters, because these are mostly letters that are written to churches. And so the uh, author is anonymous. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. There's a couple of speculations of who it might be. They may think it's like Paul or maybe somebody that studied under Paul, but we really don't know. And, but what we do know is that the audience is uh, people that have a thorough knowledge of Jewish, uh, the Jewish religion, Jewish heritage, uh, especially the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And so there is some big comparisons that this author is making with uh, huge parts of the Jewish faith. Mm-hmm. Um, they compare Jesus to angels, uh, compare Jesus to Moses. Uh, kind of the founder of the faith and the one that received the law and the one that led them into the promised land. They compare them to priests, which is a huge, uh, it was a huge part of the Jewish culture, Jewish religion. Uh, it was their way for atonement. So a lot of the festivals and a lot of the stuff that's carried out is carried out through the uh, order of the priesthood. Uh, and then the sacrificial system. So uh, that was their way of becoming right with God. And so Jesus is compared in all of these like four pillars to the Jewish faith as being greater than him or being the complete accomplishment of all of these things. And so, uh, so it kind of sections out in that. And that is really helpful in kind of saying, okay, 
this is the part where Jesus is being compared to angels, right? Okay, this is the part where Jesus is being compared to Moses. And this is, and then with each comparison, there's a warning, and you'll hear this in the Bible Project. There's a warning of if you, you know, if you don't follow Jesus in this, you know, this was the consequence that the Israelites faced when they didn't follow Moses. They didn't enter into the promised land. So how much more, if you don't follow Jesus, are you going to receive something, you know, worse? And so that's the kind of uncomfortable warnings that you get at each of the end of the um, kind of sections in Hebrews. Yeah. And then there's an, at the end, there's the kind of this calling of, um, you know, to follow the, the people of faith, the heroes of faith. Um, we call that like the, what's it? The hall of faith was like Hebrews 11 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, where they list a bunch of people. Yeah. It's, the, <laughs> it's, awesome. it's kind of weird that we call it that, you know, the hall of faith, you know, it's like, uh, so they all were like, aren't like, like gold, like jackets and stuff like that. And, um, <laughs> you know, live in the glory days. But, uh, but yeah, so the, the hall of faith, uh, sorry, we were just talking about some football players that were glory kind of days. living in the glory days that are retired and probably should stay in the glory days and not anyways so uh <laughs> previous conversation before we are on the podcast uh but yeah so that's like the hall of faith is the all of these the heroes to kind of see their faith to to mimic it and to stay strong in, in the midst of persecution yeah and i you drove this home a little bit but just to drive home more what i really got from listening to this book was it's it's not taking it to Gentiles and people who don't know this faith, where you can just tell them about Jesus and tell them about the amazing things that he did and who he is, and they believe. These are people that have a, you almost have to change their mind instead of just telling them who he is. Mm-hmm. So this is almost like a book of proof to people of the Jewish Jewish faith to to just prove who Jesus is more than just tell them about who he is. Yeah. And so, oh, go ahead. No, I'm saying there's also a lot of just Old Testament references. And so um, at the, it's good to kind of go back and to check out the context. That's another thing they say in the Bible Project is they say it's good to stop and go back and see kind of what the context of this scripture is being used. Because he throws out so much different stuff from the Old Testament. And you're like, what, what does this even mean? And there's 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 more reference to it if you kind of go back and, and look at it. So there, I think there's options to do deeper study if you like. Yeah. All right, you guys. So this is the um, the Bible Project. It's it's the overview of Hebrews. So if you ever want to get on, uh, we always say it's such a great resource. Get on YouTube, type in the Bible Project, and it'll come up with all of their stuff. But this one is literally called the Overview of Hebrews. In case you ever want to watch it too, because they do have some cool visual stuff that goes along with this audio. But for right now, this is the audio of the overview of Hebrews from the Bible Project, and we will be right back. The letter to the Hebrews. The author of this letter is anonymous, and people have wondered for a long time whether Paul wrote it or maybe one of his co-workers like Barnabas or Apollos, but really we just don't know. In chapter 2, we discover that the author had a first-hand relationship with the disciples who were themselves around Jesus, so we know that this letter is anchored in the teaching of the apostles. We also don't know who the audience of this letter was or even where they lived. The author knows them really well, and he assumes that they have a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, especially the storyline of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, about how Abraham's family became the nation of Israel, about how Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt to Mount Sinai, where they received the Torah and they made a covenant with God, where they built the tabernacle, where the priests offered sacrifices, and also about how they wandered through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. The author just expects that the readers know all of the details about these stories. And so most likely the audience is made up of Jewish Christians. That's where the name of the letter comes from. 
We also have clues from chapter 10 that this church community was facing persecution and even imprisonment because of their association with Jesus. Some in the community were walking away from Jesus and abandoning the faith altogether. And this explains the purpose and the structure of this letter. First, there's a short introduction, which is followed by four sections where the author compares and contrasts Jesus with key people and events from Israel's history. Jesus is first compared with angels in the Torah, second with Moses and the Promised Land, third with priests and Melchizedek, and lastly with the sacrifices and the covenant. And the author has two main goals in all of these contrasts. The first goal is to elevate Jesus as superior to anyone or anything else, showing that Jesus is worthy of all their trust and devotion. But his second goal is this, it's to challenge the readers to remain faithful to Jesus despite persecution. So in every section, he includes a strong warning not to abandon Jesus. So let's dive in now and see how this all unfolds. The elevation of Jesus begins in the opening sentence of the introduction. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors in many different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. So the author saying that Jesus is superior to all of the previous ways that God has revealed himself to Israel. He then makes this astounding claim that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's nature. These metaphors are making the closest possible identification between Jesus and God. So Jesus is what the rays of light are to the sun, or Jesus is what the wax impression is to the signet ring. For this author, there is no God apart from Jesus. Jesus is God become human as the Son. And it's this elevated view of Jesus that's then explored throughout the rest of the letter. In the first section, the author compares Jesus with angels, which might strike you as kind of odd, like why angels? In Jewish tradition, it was taught, based on Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2, that the Torah and the words of God were delivered to Moses at Mount Sinai by angels. And so by saying that Jesus is superior to angels, the author is claiming that Jesus and his message of good news are superior to all previous messengers of God's word. And so the first warning flows from this very point. If Israel was called to pay attention to the Torah that was delivered by angels, how much more should we pay attention to the message that was announced by the Son of God? And not only that, given Jesus' status high above the angels, how remarkable is it that he gave up that high status to become human, to suffer, and to die? In Jesus, we see God's greatest glory and God's great humility as Jesus sympathetically joined himself to humanity's tragic fate. In chapters 3 and 4, the author moves on to argue that Jesus is superior to Moses, who led the people of Israel through the wilderness and built the tabernacle. Jesus is also the leader of God's people, but in him we see not the builder of just a tent, but of all creation. Then the author retells the story of how the Israelites rebelled against Moses in the wilderness, and they lost their chance to enter into the rest that God offered them in the promised land. And so here comes the second warning. If Jesus is greater than Moses, how much higher are the stakes if we rebel against him? We also are in a wilderness-like environment where we have to trust God for the future rest in God's new creation. So let's make sure that we don't rebel like Israel did in the wilderness and lose out on God's gracious offer to enter his new creation. In chapters 5 through 7, the author then compares Jesus with Israel's priests that come from the line of Aaron. Their role was to represent Israel before God and to offer sacrifices that atoned for or covered over the sins of the people. 
But, he points out, the priests were themselves morally flawed people, and so they constantly had to offer sacrifices for their own sins as well as for everybody else's. Something more was needed. And so he then argues that Jesus was that something more. He's the ultimate priest. But Jesus did not come from the line of Aaron. Rather, Jesus was a priest in the order of Melchizedek that mysterious priest king from ancient Jerusalem, and he appears in the stories about Abraham. We also find in Psalm 110 that the messianic king from the line of David will be a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So the author's whole point is this. Jesus is the ultimate priest king. He's morally flawless. He's eternally available for his people. And so he's superior to any other mediator between God and humans. And thus comes his warning in this section. To reject Jesus is to reject one's best and only chance to be fully reconciled to God. So don't do that which transitions us into the last comparison in chapters 8 through 10. The author shows how Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate sacrifice superior to all the animal sacrifices offered in the temple. Those sacrifices had to be offered constantly, both daily but also yearly on the Day of Atonement. Jesus offered his life once and for all, and it was sufficient to cover the sins of the whole world. And so the author warns the audience from walking away from Jesus. It's like turning your back on a gracious offer of God's forgiveness. Why would you do that? Jesus' sacrifice is permanent, he says, and it's the foundation for the new covenant spoken of in the prophets, where all sins are forgiven. So now that the author has elevated Jesus through all of these contrasts, this final section is one big challenge to follow Jesus. So think big picture. In Jesus, they have found God's very word. In Jesus, they have hope for the new creation. Jesus is their eternal priest. He's the perfect sacrifice. And so now they should follow all the great models of faith found throughout the story of the scriptures, and they should remain faithful to Jesus, trusting that despite whatever hardship and persecution, God will not abandon his people. That's the basic flow of thought throughout the letter, which the author calls right here at the very end a brief word of exhortation. Here's a couple of extra tips for reading this letter. Whenever the author quotes from the Old Testament scriptures, which is like every other sentence, stop and go look up the reference and read that quotation in its original context. And sometimes you'll be puzzled, but more often you'll see all kinds of extra cool connections that you would never notice otherwise. It's totally worth the effort. You should also just know that these warning passages, they're going to make you uncomfortable, and that's kind of the point. They're not there to make you afraid. They're there to show you that rejecting Jesus is foolish because he's so awesome. These warnings all serve the larger purpose of the letter, to show that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's love and mercy. And that's what the letter of the Hebrews is all about. All right, you guys, that was uh, the overview of Hebrews, and so we're going to go ahead and get right into our scripture reading for today from the Dwell app on Hebrews 2, and as they pointed out, there are different sections in this book of Hebrews, and um, what we're in today is when they're comparing Jesus to angels. Um, so just to give you a reference point of where we are in the book. So um, this is Hebrews 2, and we will be right back. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape 
if we neglect such a great salvation it was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking it has been testified somewhere what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him you made him for a little while lower than the angels you have crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection under his feet now in putting everything in subjection to him he left nothing outside his control at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers saying I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise and again I will put my trust in him and again behold I and the children God has given me since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery for surely it is not angels that he helps but he helps the offspring of Abraham therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted All right, and we are back. That is your reading of the day, your chapter of the day from the Dwell app, Hebrews 2. Um, Daniel, Ricky, anything you guys want to hit on first? Yeah, sure. I mean, it starts off um, in the very first verse with, it, it, you mentioned earlier, Daniel, like warnings and stuff to heed. So in the very first verse, it it, it tells us um, really we need to to listen more to the things that we've heard in case we forget. And it, it's interesting in this culture that um, we have so so much information that mm. gets filled. We just talked about it last night, right? So yeah. much information, information overload, and it's hard sometimes to retain the right information. 
In other words, the, the information that doesn't really mean anything may get retained. The information that's really important doesn't. Mm. And, and our minds end up being, uh, if you will, like a leaky vessel, right? So stuff comes in, we don't really retain it. Stuff goes out. Even I find that sometimes in services, you're sitting there and you, you hear maybe half of what of what the, the pastor's talking about. And the very beginning of this chapter comes off and says, uh, we have to make a point on the stuff that, that is being said, the stuff that we're hearing, um, to make a point to ingrain that in our memory. Uh, and, and to start off a chapter, um, any chapter of the Bible, but certainly Hebrews, which is, you know, kind of so prophetic and, and really lays out a ton of things that are crucial to Christianity, um, to start off with that right off the rip, you know, Hey, look, we have got to pay more attention. Mm. It's interesting to me. Yeah. And I think that you make a great point, Ricky, in that it is so easy to, um, just really focus on the wrong message. Right. And it's in, and with that, you'll just, it's almost like, like even just varying from slight degrees, will create a very far destination in the wrong. Like all you have to do is go off a couple degrees and then you go a couple miles and you're way uh, off basis, yeah. you know? And so, and I think that um, the the one thing that really stuck out to me is that the whole, um, the whole, I guess the power or the, the, I guess the mystique of the angels that we have here in the Jewish culture was that they, uh, according to like, uh, Deuteronomy is that they gave Moses the law. They gave Moses the word. And so they were these messengers. They were these very important messengers that were entrusting humanity with this word of God. And and so there's a lot of, one, competing voices. There's a lot of messages that are being sent. But there's also, for, for the Jewish culture, this is like a very reverent thing, that the angels would be the entrusted messengers of this word. And so with Jesus being now this greater messenger that's handing over this kind of greater, complete uh, truth of God, you know, it is, it's so important for us to listen to that. And I think that we, uh, because God is just so good and gracious, he gives us the ability to choose what we, yeah, what we believe to be true, right? Like he gives us the ability to choose truth, um, whether or not it's true, he gives us the ability to choose it. And so we have, even though I don't think we have the same reverence for angels, you know, we kind of see them sometimes as naked cupids that shoot heart shaped <laughs> arrows. Uh, whereas, it, whereas like we see like angels in the Bible is like, whenever they appear, people are like, do not like, Hey, don't be afraid. Don't right. die of a heart attack. I'm just here to give you a message kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so that's probably really more realistic of what we see as angels, not the stuff we see on Valentine's. But, um, <laughs> But I think that for this, for, for me, that what stuck out here was, um, you know, are we really believing that what Jesus says is the most reliable message, is the most trusted uh, version of truth that we can have? Because I think we, we live in a culture of relativity, right? Uh, like everything's relative. Yeah. Truth is relative. Believe what you want to believe, you know, do what you want to do kind of thing. Or we yeah. just get a competing messages from politics and culture about, you know, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live, you know, the importance of marriage, the importance of family, you know, the importance of purity, all these kinds of things. We get all of these different messages, right? And so uh, the Israelites, just in the Old Testament, even though they received this great message, they, they chose not to follow it. And so there was consequences to that, right? And so 
I think this is now the the onus is on us now that we have this you know word we have this messenger Jesus giving us this this calling of saying hey this is what abundant life looks like hey this is what it looks like uh, this is what God designed you for and this is what is in store for you if you follow me uh, like we suffer so much when we don't follow that, when instead we choose the other message, we choose the message of culture, we choose the message of, you know, truth is relative, or we choose the, hey, I just, you know, I'm going to do what I think is right. I'm going to follow my desires and things like that. And I think that's kind of goes towards the very end of what well, we can go to later about when he talks about being t- uh, tempted. But I, that to me stuck out in this kind of how I can make this kind of relative to me, because like I said, I don't feel like I have the same reverence of angels that they have in this Jewish culture. However, you know, messages and information is, is readily available to us, and we have the opportunity to choose what we believe. So are we believing Jesus' message, or are we kind of mixing it with our own kind of, you know, desires slash cultural, you know, what culture is putting on us or whatever? Mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's a great point in that, um, and you, you alluded, alluded to a couple of times, Daniel, in, that, in, in Scripture, but not only in Scripture, but in life in general, um, there is always a reaction for an action right so you mentioned your choice to to believe truth and then if we believe truth what happens we we reap the rewards of of believing that the true truth right there's as we we've learned now that there are some truths that really aren't true and Mm -hmm. um so but believing that jesus is the true the authority um and, and again it even says down in verse second that that if if the the word that the angels spoke, so the words that that God gave the angels, if it was true, um, you would receive a, a reward, right or wrong, right? If if you choose the wrong way, then there's a reward for that as well. <laughs> um, and that's really, uh, it's interesting that that you made that parallel to where just to ch- to choose the truth, right? That's it's our choice, completely is our choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a choice. Therefore, there is a reward, you know, good or bad for that. Yeah, there's absolutely consequences uh, for that. And and I think that um, I, that's where I feel like we, we our culture struggles. Because, I mean, let's just say I feel like there's a little bit of an arrogance in our culture of what we believe and what we think and perceive is true is true. Absolutely. You know? And, and so, uh, and with that, that makes us so divided. Like that pushes us to so many different corners, and we only hang around with people that we that think and act the way we do. You yeah. know, and so it's there's echo chamber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and so we kind of we isolate ourselves in these almost like aquariums, and uh, and so there's uh, and so there's I don't we we're not opening ourselves up to the fact that we may be wrong, you know, right. or that somebody else may be right. And, and so uh, that's why I, I think that this is a huge warning. This is I feel like this is a big warning for us. And, mm-hmm. and that's, it's going to be great because and I guess the challenge is, is when we read Hebrews is to say, OK, the principle here, what's the principle that, that, that they're trying to that the author is trying to convey is that Jesus was the messenger of God. He was God in a body. He was the one that God spoke through and he was the one that God revealed, you know, because God was hidden to all creation. Mm. And now God has been revealed to humanity in a perfect form of Jesus. Are we going to listen to him? Mm. And that's what's cool is that like Jesus is, you know, God says, hey, you're my son. You know, he says this. I think it's in Hebrews one where he just says like it affirms. This is who Jesus is. Jesus, my son. He does that at the baptism, but he also does that at the transfiguration. Mm -hmm. And he says, God says, this is my son. Listen to him. 
listen to him. And, and that is, you know, when there's so many competing, competing voices, are we just kind of, are we, are we tuning out the other things and listening to Jesus? Because he is the most reliable message of not only truth, but also the most reliable message on, you know, how we live and what, what really matters and what should we value and what's our worth and what's our identity. I mean, if not, you're going to believe every lie in the book. And if you believe the lie and live out the lie, you know, you're going to, you're going to fall into this trap of these probably consequences that you just never saw coming. And I mean, I can look at my own life and see, man, when I was believing the wrong thing, mm-hmm. my life suffered greatly because of that, you yeah. know? And so, uh, and so I think this for, for us, this is a big deal mm-hmm. of, of discerning the message of Jesus and following it as, as best as we possibly can. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the my biggest frustrations with our society today is the the phrase "my truth." Mm-hmm. That is, I hear that all the time. And there, I'm sorry. There's your story. There's what happened to you. There's the truth of your life. But there is no your truth. There is the truth, the truth. You know. And so I have a question for you guys, and I don't expect you to have a definitive answer. But I've noticed. I mean, culture has always been changing but it seems especially in the last decade or two that universal truths that things that that something is black something is white something is you know true something is untrue based upon god and what god has spoken into this world and into the into the people for for millennia it's all changing and now it's becoming more and more and more there is no universal truth it is all relative like you said so as our society moves towards this area where there is no truth except for what's relative and what you like and what you agree with, whether you're right or not, and the loss of humility in people for them to realize, this is what I believe to my core, but I could be wrong. How do we fight against that? What do we do? Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I think that's a good question, Brenna. I think uh, <laughs> and I know it's a tough one. That's why I said I don't I think, expect a definitive answer. I would say, from my this is my thought. I think the church has done a bad job mm-hmm. of fighting against that. Yeah, because sometimes I think that the church can see a lie being believed, somebody living a lifestyle that's not the way that is contrary to what Jesus, and they just kind of bash them with that. I mean, and they they really just they they'll throw out scriptures that somebody that doesn't follow Jesus should follow and that kind of doesn't really work out very well usually just alienates people more right yeah and a lot of times the people doing that aren't living that way yeah either. and, and so, so then like people are like why should I listen to why you? should I listen to you yeah. exactly and so I think that that when it comes to what we do with that is and I think that sometimes I think that I I want to always defend and trust in God right but sometimes we'll defend and trust God at the expense of people. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, we lose the message of God because the message of God was that he came to save the world, that he came to save people, he came to seek and save that was lost. Mm-hmm. And so we'll sometimes we'll use truth as the most important thing when actually we realize that, that people is the most important thing. Because with God, when it comes to truth, his he does, he's not insecure about it who he is and what he's done and who he, like he doesn't need us as humanity to defend who he is because his identity is totally secure in who he is. I mean, he's God. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to worry about that, you know? Yeah. 
And, and so I think sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll say like, we'll come to like, no, you can't talk a bad, bad about God like that, you know, and you can't live like that because that's, that's disobeying God. And yes, but here's what the, the issue is that, and even the author of Hebrews says that when you don't pay attention to the message, you suffer consequences. Mm-hmm. And so God, I think it, it's not that God's mad that his truth is not being acknowledged. He's mad. He's mad and upset because his beloved creation is suffering the consequences of not following that truth. Mm-hmm. And so they're experiencing these awful things that God never intended or never desired and that Jesus came to do away with. And so... I think when we and when we are in a culture that is just so consumed with their own truth, our heart needs to break not because they're not believing God's truth, but because their consequences that they're going to suffer are going to be awful. Mm-hmm. Their families are going to suffer. That what they're going to experience is just a subpar life. It's not going to be life abundant that Jesus promised. And yeah. so, and and that's where I think that we we start to we start to focus sometimes on the wrong thing as a church. We focus on defending the truth, the word, and it doesn't really need defense because it's it's the thing that's going to test time anyways. All these people are going to come and go. The word's going to remain, mm-hmm. and that's what we get that promise from scripture. But what we what we do have is that those people that are are here presently that will go, they need to know the truth because if not, the consequences are terrible for them. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we when we see this kind of arrogant culture or the prideful culture that we're in right now, it's so important for us to say, man, like come back to God. Mm-hmm. I come back to God because he loves you yeah. and he wants you to experience everything that he has to offer you. But you're saying no to him and you're stiff arming all the blessings, all the goodness that's before you because you want to, to, to do your own thing. And so, um, and that's, that's the, when I've had conversations with people, that's kind of the stance that, that I've kind of taken in that because I don't know. I mean, I know, I know that I've read the scriptures and I, and I believe the scriptures, but the people that we talk to probably don't, Yeah, you know? And so to convince them to believe the scriptures is going to be one thing, but why don't you convince them to believe the messenger who's greater than every, who's greater than the scriptures, right? Yeah. The messenger, Jesus, mm-hmm. convince them that he loves them and that he did so much for them and then kind of walk them through that <clears throat> and walk them through the eventual thing of challenging like their own truths against God's truth and submitting to that eventually because they know who Jesus is and they know God's love for them, not submitting to the truth and then finding Jesus after that. Yeah. I think we might, we might need to, as a church, teach more on how to speak truth and love because I think people take it and they say, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you how you're wrong and it alienates people, mm-hmm. but they think that they're doing that and that's them speaking truth and love. And instead it needs to be more of what you were just saying, yeah. a different perspective, still doing the same thing, but a perspective shift that, that invites people instead of repels people. Ricky, you look like you had something to say a second ago. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's an interesting mm-hmm. question. And, and, and if I could be a bit cavalier on a couple of things, I think one of the biggest problems we're, that we face and, and, the world's in a mess. I mean, it is. But so but, true. but we knew this, right? We knew this from yeah. from the, the the second Adam and Eve did what they did. It's going to continually get worse. But in my mind, one of the biggest problems with the where it's at today, or the problem with Christianity, or is Christians. And here's why: we're really good at picking the stuff that we like and that we're we're doing really good at. You know, I'm I'm a, I'm a really good at at A, B, and C, right? But the Bible is A through Z. It's not only A, B, C. Mm-hmm. So the the you know the EFGs that we're not so good at, we love pointing them out in other people. Yeah. 
And so what mm-hmm. happens with truth, it, you're right, it, the absolutes are gone. Now truth is relative. Mm-hmm. And that comes as a rejection. And what do we reject? You see it in a culture today. It's very easy. We reject the core of who we are. And that's that we are made in the image of God. If you look at, so there's, there's, a, there's a passage in the Bible and there's a story where the, 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 the rulers are trying to trap Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, and they, you know, as Daniel, you mentioned, the Jewish, the Jewish culture was, you know, very rigorous. They're trying, and they bring a coin, right, to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I love this. Yeah, me too. And he brings the coin. He says, whose image is on the coin? Or, you know, and, and should I pay taxes? And Jesus says, whose image is on the coin? And he said, well, it's Caesar's. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, render unto Caesar's that which is Caesar's. I always thought that, and I'm borrowing this from someone, but I always thought that there should be a follow-up question to that. And it should have been, well, well, what belongs to God? And Jesus's answer would be, whose image is on you? Mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. We're made in the image of God. And it's interesting that, and then a little bit further on, they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? Back then they had 500 some commandments or roughly. It's interesting that the, the, where every other commandment hangs on two things, love the Lord God mm-hmm. and what? Love your neighbor. Yeah. If you can't do, and they work in tandem, if you can't love God first and if you can't love your neighbor secondly, everything else is mute. Mm-hmm. Everything. Yes. Truth is mute. Everything is mute. Those are the two things that we're commanded to do. Interestingly enough, what two things do we struggle with in the culture today? True love, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Accepting people for who they are and accepting God. Mm-hmm. So we reject the two things that, that Jesus says is most important in the world are the two things that we reject, mm. which is why we see this pretty rapid decline going down. But there's always hope. There's always hope. We can always turn back to the absolute truth. The beauty of it is it's so simplistic. It's so simplistic. Mm -hmm. You believe that Jesus died for your sins. You believe that he's your maker and everything fixes. God, God knew that the world was going to be complex. Mm -hmm. And And it's interesting is that you have a, you have a problem. He gave such a, such an easy answer to every problem in the world. And it's, it's one answer is Jesus. Mm-hmm. You, you got a problem with your marriage. What do you need? Yeah, you need Jesus. Mm-hmm. You got a problem with your church. What do you need? Yeah, you need Jesus. Mm-hmm. You got financial problems. What do you need? You need Jesus. You got problems with your kids. Who do you need? You need Jesus. It's that simplistic yet. The, the devil has done a phenomenal job of confusing that to the point where we start rejecting. Mm-hmm. So it's two things we, we reject we, we have Jesus that we can accept, but we, we reject him. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. It's complex, but simple, simplistic in nature. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where truth has gone from absolute. Jesus was the absolute truth mm-hmm. to where now truth is relative. Mm-hmm. And when you have that, it'll continue to slide. Yeah. Yeah. And the more, the more our culture gets God out of the culture, it's just, it correlates Everything declines. The more God declines, the more that declines in our society. And one last, one last interesting point. So, in my world, in the engineering world, I was in aerospace. So we would build airplanes, mm-hmm. and people laugh when I tell them this. But one of the big absolutes in building an airplane is temperature. 
So how hot the airplane gets or how cold it gets, but you need an absolute temperature, right? You know how you get absolute temperature when you've been in an airplane? Ice. Distilled water and ice is 32.2 degrees. Mm. That's the answer to it's so simplistic. It's the, everything is there. It's just us up to us to accept it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and I think that, man, it, it really does. Cause we can try to speak the truth in love, like you said, but when I see somebody say, I'm just trying to speak truth to you in love. Usually it's, Hey, I just want you to agree with my opinion that's right. and I want you to just say, say yes to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's where we need to part of us as, as, as like bearers of truth, right? If we're not only made in the image of God, but now God has put his seal on us and he's given us his spirit inside of us. So like we are the billboards, we're the ambassadors as like Paul would say in second Corinthians five, we're the ambassador saying, come back to God, to the mm-hmm. world. Right. So we need to abandon this whole thing of being right all the time. Right. You know, mm-hmm. we need to abandon that because what's more important, us being right or the fact that they see Jesus and then they give their life to Jesus, mm-hmm. you know? And so even if we're even like, I mean, it's bold, but even if we know we're right, what if it's better to lose the argument and win the person? Right. You know, die to self, yeah. die to self. Exactly. It's hard, man. It absolutely is. You got to die. And and so, and, that's, and I think that's, that's unfortunate because I think what's amazing is that Jesus, whenever he was around people that did it, that were rejected by either society, because that was a very like strict religious society. So anybody that didn't follow the strict Jewish traditions and the strict Jewish laws were rejected. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, people that were rejected by religion, you know, felt like they were outcast to God or felt like they were just out with no hope in the world. Jesus would come to them and he would love them and they would feel accepted by him and he would draw them to himself. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, uh, he spoke truth in those times. Mm-hmm. Like he, he would tell it how it is, but he would do it in a way that would win the person, not win the argument. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and that's where, especially with not only information, but with everybody's loud voice on social media, mm-hmm. like maybe you don't win the argument. Yeah. You know, maybe point to a better messenger, not you, maybe point to the best messenger, Jesus. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It, for me, honestly, one of the biggest ways that I learned to win the person and not win the argument was in that breeding ground was in Facebook um, during the last presidential election. I had, and I won't get into <laughs> politics here, but, um, and Michael Miller can vouch for this because he and I were, we, we view things fairly differently, but because we both come from that, that vein of when, when the person, not the argument don't, you know, it was, it was amazing because there were times when I'd sit there and I'm like having a conversation with somebody and they would just go complete vitriol. And we had the same viewpoint. We're talking about the same thing, but if you say one thing they don't like, all of a sudden you're their enemy. And for some weird reason in me, it bred this like, wait a minute, calm down, have a civil conversation speak things to them that are going to win them and not don't care if you win the argument. That is a, that is a big shift to make and it's hard to make because you want to like, even, even when you're doing it, there's still that humanity in you there, that human side of you that you're like, but I want to win. Mm-hmm. I want to say these things that I feel like I should say because I want to win. You've got to learn how to let that die and, 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 and win the person and have the perspective of, it's not more important that I say what I think is right to this person. It's more important that I connect with this person and that I reach them 
on a deeper level than me winning some stupid argument about something that doesn't matter. And when it comes to faith and when it comes to introducing people to Jesus, your perspective needs to become that's the most important thing. And that's dying to yourself. And it's hard. And I don't know how that happened for me on Facebook during a presidential election, but it really, really did. It was crazy. Yeah, and if you look at if you look at Jesus's life, and I think he's the prime example of you say winning winning certain things. But so in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he asks he asks his father, it, you know, "Is there another way?" Yeah, <laughs> right. And and he, I'm sure, had Jesus had his druthers, right? He would have said. All right, I don't really have to die. You're God. You know, we can fix this. You're God. Yeah. But he didn't. He said, you know what? It's not my will. Mm-hmm. It's not what I want. It's what you want. Yeah. And they had the same. And what happened in Jesus dying to himself? He, he won the world. Yeah. He won the world over mm-hmm. by by that simple act of dying, you know, dying to himself, submitting to what um, his father wanted god and in doing so ultimately he won the world and that's one thing that we have to keep into perspective when we get in these you know discussions and and you know confrontations or arguments depending what they are um we you excellent point brett you have to realize that we're if if we're christians we ought to have the same goal right Right. we really honestly should yeah the bible talks about that being in unison in one accord so how we get there all right well there's differences of opinion and that's oh Okay. Yeah. And we have to realize that. Yeah. I think I said it on the last podcast. I know neither one of you guys were here, but we were talking about the importance of praying for your leaders mm-hmm. and um, talking about <clears throat> it's important to not pray for leaders that you disagree with, that they come to see your point of view. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's important to pray for them that they come to see God's point of view. Correct. And that his will is done through them. And and I think it's the same kind of thing. Like, yeah, you know, it it's just, you gotta, you gotta pray for God's will to be done and realize that that's the most important thing. Because guess what? I know you really, really feel like you're right. I really, really feel like I'm right on my stances on things, but there's a billion other stances out there. Mm-hmm. And who, how cocky am I to say like, they're all wrong. I'm right. Mm-hmm. You know, no, you gotta have that humility to be like, I really, really feel like I'm right, but I don't know if I am for sure. It's tough. So let's let's know that God is right, and let's operate under those pretenses and and not worry so much about how we feel in the end, and just know that He's the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. So. It's it's important. You you cannot paint with a broad brush in, in <laughs> some of these instances. Yeah, you, you really have to got to keep an open mind, or not say, well, you know, because this person believes or thinks this way, then they must have. Yeah, you know, they're indoctrinated or something like that happens, you know. It's just a difference of opinion. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. It really truly is. <laughs> All right, you guys. Let's uh wrap this up. Um I love these conversations. Yeah, <laughs> I, I could I could go for hours and hours, <laughs> exactly. guys, honestly. Well, let, let's pick up Podcast where we're leaving off next week. Point two. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 2.0. <laughs> <Point two. laughs> <laughs> so um I will pray for us today and um awesome. close this out. So uh Heavenly Father. As always, I thank you for the opportunity to be here with my brothers, to have a conversation about your word, to get deep into your word, and, and doing it so that we are also growing in your word, but so that other people that are listening are hopefully coming to understand more of who you are and, um, and what your word truly says. 
You know, I, I my, my biggest hope is that people that don't know you can listen to this podcast and can understand by what we're saying who you are and that you are speaking through us to them. Um, Father, we just ask you through this time as our conversation led to today for us more than anything else in our lives and all of the people that are listening, God, all the people that are in this world and in your body of believers and unbelievers, God, that they would come to see that your perspective is the most important thing, God, that your will being done, even if we don't understand it, that we have the humility to understand that you are God and we are not, and that we can operate in our relationships with people and the decisions that we make in this world out of that perspective, Father. So we just, that's all I have to ask for today, God, is that we would see your will above our own and that you would move through us and that we can just be vessels for you to move and win this world for your kingdom, God, for your family. So, Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity, and we just ask you to continue to bless, continue to be with us, and we just lift you up and give you all of the thanks and the honor and the glory. And in your holy and powerful name, we pray and say amen. 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 Um, Ricky, once again, thanks for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, it's always fun to have you on with us. Daniel, thanks for coming back, man. It's good to be back. (laughs) Did you have a good vacation? I don't think I did. We did. Uh, My parents live in South Carolina, and my whole family came down, and it was a really good time. It's just a, it's like a, like a great safe haven to just kind of relax and to enjoy. And the grant and my kids, so, um, and all of our nieces and nephews, they just had a blast together. So that was really cool. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, and Ricky, I don't know, I can edit this out if it's not okay to say yet, but congratulations, Ricky just accepted a new position yeah, at a new job. Yeah, I did. Yeah, um, hey. So. Yeah. Cool. What are you doing? I work for, going to work for a company called United Rentals. Oh, yeah. Awesome. And then it's sales engineer. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome man. Man. Yeah. I know that that's something that I knew for at least a few weeks you were yeah. really, really Mall- working on. So. Mulling it over and, and thinking, but it was clear. You know, God's good. He, yeah. It was very clear to me and, and was nice that decision was like okay it's what you're supposed to do yeah so i was like okay cool that's yeah. awesome and maybe a teeny tiny small part of that is we're gonna need guests now and you're gonna travel a lot less right a lot less yeah. <laughs> there we go so that's the benefit that we get it right? Is. <laughs> right everybody wins <laughs> so guys thank you so much we're gonna go ahead and wrap up there thank you so much for joining us once again um Please just continue to spread the word about the podcast. We hope that what we're doing is um, beneficial to you guys, that you're enjoying what we're doing. We are continuing to work on trying to get a Facebook Live option going as well so that you can you can tune in while we're recording live and see this and then also listen after the fact if you miss it. So please keep an eye out for that. Um, if you have any suggestions, anything that we can do, if you know about that more than we do, Love to hear you chime in and and give us some heads up on how we can do that best once we get that going. But um, otherwise, guys, we just thank you again, and um, we will talk to you next week. Go out, be Jesus to each other, um, love on each other, work on shifting that perspective, stay close to the Holy Spirit, and we will talk to you guys next week.